Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the editorial side, we use sound as a storytelling tool. So basically, it's all about storytelling. And it's about when, you, when do you want to be internal or external in a character. And from that moment, uh, I only work with eight audio tracks for simplicity. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Push the Envelope. I'm the AV Club's Editor-in-Chief, Patrick Gomez, and today we'll hear from the Oscar-nominated team behind Sound of Metal. But first, speaking of the Oscars, we're finally getting more of a picture of what the 2021 ceremony is going to look like on April 25th. And to break that all down with me is the AV Club senior writer, Katie Reif. Katie, thanks so much for joining. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Hi. I'm good. I'm good. So as I mentioned when you joined us last, uh, if people are interested in your take on Oscar nominations and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, uh, we actually are discussing that on the AV Club's other podcast film club <laughs> that's true where you and our film editor a.a dowd are breaking down all of the big categories and i want to ask you a little bit about that momentarily but first uh-huh. i want to give everyone a little bit of an overview of what uh what we now know to expect when the oscars air live on abc on sunday april 25th we are getting no host again which i think we all kind of celebrate a little bit i don't know how you feel katie but i certainly think that that's the right way to go um yeah. as in years past as in years past we're not going to have a major one major host it'll just be different people coming out for different bits throughout the show yeah I, i'm happy with that i mean i can think of very few examples of an oscars host that everybody liked so <laughs> you know maybe just skip it <laughs> yeah well and the ones that we do like have done it so many times now that it's that's like that's true it would be a boring choice and it's everyone true. would be like, oh, them again. Like, no, let, <laughs> let, let, let Billy Crystal take a rest. Like, yeah. let, let. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, um, but, you know, while we won't have a host, they are beginning to uh, release the names of the people that will be presenting throughout the night or appearing in different capacities throughout the night. Um, so the names we have so far as of the recording of this podcast are Angela Bassett, Laura Dern, Halle Berry, Bong Joon-ho, uh, Harrison Ford, Regina King, Marley Matlin, Rita Moreno, Joaquin Phoenix, Brad Pitt, Reese Witherspoon, Renee Zellweger, Don Cheadle, Brian Cranston, and Zendaya. I think there's some names here that really excite me. I mean, who doesn't love a good Laura Dern moment? Um, oh, yes, and- <laughs> of course. Um, and obviously this list will grow and grow and grow in the coming weeks. I'm sure things are mm-hmm. still being solidified. And one of the reasons that that has to be the case is because, you know, they, they eke out these names regardless because they know it gets press and attention leading up to the sure. show. And um, some of them you can predict because traditionally, like, uh, some of the awards will be presented by the previous year's winner. Yes. So, you know, like Brad Pitt, for example, will present uh, this year's Best Supporting Actor because he won last year. But what's interesting here is that, like, the component of uh, the the changing decisions at the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Science 
in terms of uh, what they will allow in terms of uh, the mm. way that you can attend the ceremony. Because at first they were saying there was going to be no Zooms and everyone has to be in person and all this, all this stuff that everyone was raising their eyebrows at. And while that does seem more realistic now that we are in the age of the uh, vaccine being so readily available, mm-hmm. certainly when they first announced those, those protocols, everyone thought it was, it was not the right call and they did back track. So now we are going to get um, it's still a formal dress code and for people to um, will be able to zoom in if that's what they have to do. But that being said, they are going to have uh, performances and such filmed at the Dolby Theater, which is mm-hmm. where the Oscars traditionally takes place, at least since 2002 uh, in that theater. Also, was formerly known as the Kodak Theater. So you may have heard it under that name. Uh, but we will have the main ceremony taking place at Union Station in the downtown Los Angeles area, which is a little bit of an odd choice. But people do have weddings and other festivities there. So it's not out of the question, uh, but it certainly is a a first for the Oscars. Okay. Let me ask, I've been to Union Station a few times. Which part of Union Station is it going to be in? Because there's like, is it like that big front room with all the the benches in it? Like what part of the station are we talking about? So that is traditionally where you would have a big event. So I'm imagining, okay. I, I have not read anything that goes into the specifics of where they're going to put everything, everything. I could also see them using some of the outdoor space there. Uh-huh. Like there's there's multiple areas for them to use, but I would imagine that that main uh, lobby area is what's going to have okay. the, the major like stage and, and uh, you know, where people will uh, accept their awards and such. Gotcha. So we will have, yeah, so we'll have a location at the Dolby, which is in the Hollywood area of Los Angeles. We'll have Union Station downtown and then also uh, locations in Europe and the UK specifically mm-hmm. um, will have uh, spots as well. So it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. You know, I think we had you on right after the SAG Awards and we spoke about how polished it was that it was pre-recorded and they're going for live mm-hmm. Um, And so they're going from live from all over the world. And we've seen how that's worked at some of the other shows. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, with with this ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of figured for me, the big question mark was always international travel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am not surprised that they kind of loosened the they added the London location. That makes sense. And then. You know, I imagine someone like Bong Joon-ho will come in over Zoom since he's based in South Korea. It's, it's like, um, you know, the CDC has given vaccinated people the green light to travel within the United States. But a lot of these nominees don't live in the United States. And that to me was always the big question mark about the you have to show up in person thing. Yeah, I mean, it was the right call. Uh, you know, I think we've seen the Oscars come out right after other big life events, big tragic national tragedies mm. um, and all that kind of stuff. So they are certainly used to navigating waters that uh, are difficult in terms of celebrating art uh, in the face of adversity mm-hmm. um, that people are paying attention to. Um, and for a while, I thought they were heading in the wrong direction here. And so I'm glad to see them course correct and make it mm-hmm. something that's more accessible to everyone, because I think it, it's a little irresponsible to force people to travel all around the world. Right totally. now. Yeah, yeah. The, the international bit was the part that kind of made me go, are, are you are you sure that this is a good idea? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, because then at that point you're like, well, then should we even be doing this at all? Mm. Uh, you know, given given all of that. So I'm glad they landed in a place that I think is is more um, responsible. Right. Uh, but of, of course, you know, all of this is just the dressing. What uh, we'll all be talking about the day after, barring any sort of major screw-ups, will be the winners. And uh, that's something that you and A.A. Dowd, our film editor, as I mentioned, have been discussing on our podcast, The Film Club. I don't want to give things away. I, w- I definitely want people to go and give those episode, recent episodes a listen. Um, but they've, you've been, you're in the middle right now of a series of episodes that, that dig into the nominees in the way that we haven't pushed the envelope in the past for the other awards. Uh, we've had you come on uh, and speak about SAG and Golden Globes. And, and so now you and Dowd are doing that over on Film Club, since that is our film-specific centric podcast. Mm-hmm. So I encourage listeners here that want to hear our in-depth takes of the categories to go take a listen to the last few episodes there. We've already had episodes featuring the supporting actor and actress categories, the screenplay and director categories, and uh, coming up in the episode tomorrow, or if you're listening to this, not on day of release, on Friday, uh, there is the actor actress uh, best actor-actress categories you'll discuss, and then next week we'll be getting best picture in the days leading up to the big ceremony. Um, what's, what's that process been like for you all? Have you, are you agreeing a ton? Are you, are you finding often that you both have different front runners? What's interesting is that we tend to agree on who the front runners plural are, but who our picks are tend to diverge. Like, for example, we both uh, think that, you know, uh, the chances of Vanessa Kirby winning for Pieces of a Woman are pretty slim. But we were split on whether Frances McDormand or Viola Davis were going to win the award. Ah, oh, got you. Well, mm-hmm. it's it's super interesting there. I think it's great that you uh, dug into screenplay and director, which mm-hmm. I think uh, particularly director. It'll be interesting to see who comes to to rise there. We've had we've had front runners in all of them, but but this is this is one of the years that I think we're going to get more surprises or not even surprises, but that more categories are up in the air than usual. I, I don't know. Is that something you agree with? I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think that something that's come up a lot is kind of the changing demographics of who's getting nominated for awards, you know, uh, like we have acting categories that are dominated by people of color, which is a pretty new uh, development for the Oscars and having more than one woman nominated for Best Director is a new kind of um, trend for the Academy Awards, but something that I think has always been part of this conversation that is something that we've talked about at length is the kind of divide between where you have certain names that show up again and again, like, you know, Glenn Close, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, they're all in the running this year and they come up a lot. And then you have new people like Maria Bakalova was someone we talked about at length because she's kind of a left field pick. I'm I'm rooting for the girl. Uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's great. Uh, I also think it's interesting, though. You know, I've mentioned this a few times that you know, perennial nominees like Meryl Streep had multiple opportunities, and we don't see them represented yeah. in a lot of these awards this season and such. So it's it's been a very interesting year um, for nominees, and I think I think that the pandemic is is a major factor there. I I, I I'm a big fan of of spending my very small uh, amount of idle time uh, imagining what if scenarios and just how <laughs> different this list of nominees would have been had we had a more traditional um, year of of the films that we w- were intended to have come out over the past 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. There were some movies that got ended up getting delayed that we probably would have seen come up. And yeah, some movies that are the front. I think this year, 
just the fact that a movie like Nomadland is the front runner is something that I would not have predicted if you had asked me, you know, at the beginning of the season, looking at what was going to come out, I would have been like, well, you know, it's probably going to be Mank, Trial of Chicago 7. It's like you have the expected this year, but you also have some more unexpected things mixed in. And the unexpected things seem to have kind of an edge over the expected, which is different. And uh, yeah, perhaps a reflection of the unprecedented year that 2020 was for film, like you said. Yeah, there's very few silver linings to this past year, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we will take them when we get them. Uh, one other change is the sound nominees uh, this year. Mm-hmm. No, traditionally, it has been two categories for sound, one sound mixing and one sound editing. And uh, we now are getting one category, best sound. They're kind of wrapping everything together. And this was, to be honest, something I had to kind of look into when that happened, because, you know, to me, it's like, oh, okay, like maybe we don't necessarily need them announced during the ceremony i think you know (laughs) as it runs super long they've made the call to you know include some during the ceremony and move some to the technical awards and only include pre-recorded announcements for some of them and that kind of stuff and i think that that's an unfortunately a necessary thing i wish we could do all of them and get to give everyone equal play um but that's just not the case for a televised event like that right um But, you know, the more I read into the combination of these categories, the more even the people in the sound world uh, in film uh, agreed that it was perhaps time to do that for something like the Oscars, because there are there are separate awards for the sound, you know, the sound community, I guess, I'm (laughs) for lack of a better word, they have their own awards that break it down into, you know, dozens of categories in in terms of dialogue versus background uh, you know there's all these different categories that you could break it down to but the feeling was is that because sound is so digital now the way that it's created for film that the that the duties of mixing and editing are are very much combined when you look at it holistically in that in the same way that we don't necessarily differentiate between set design being how did you build something that's on a soundstage versus how did you dress a set of a, like a, a house that already existed you know the 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 average viewer is not differentiated between that so in the same way they think you know if we look at sound holistically for a film it makes sense to do that uh, and honor it in that way because that's how most people are enjoying sound in a film yeah absolutely and that makes I was kind of wondering if the reason that they combined them was because the technology had changed. And it sounds like that was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, you recently spent some time speaking with someone that is nominated in that category Mm -hmm. this year. As I mentioned up at the top of the episode, we're going to be hearing from some of the Oscar-nominated team behind Sound of Metal. We got to hear from the star, Riz Ahmed, in an early episode of Push the Envelope, which was fantastic. Um, But you got to sit down with Nicholas Becker, who is the sound supervisor, and Miguel uh, E.G. Nielsen, who is the film editor, also nominated for Sound of Metal this year. Uh, and got to speak to them about their their uh, roles in making what I think is one of the best films of the year, and clearly the Academy does as well. Yeah, I think this one, um, we didn't discuss sound as its own category on Film Club, but if I was asked for my front runner in the category, I think Sound of Metal would be it. Because the sound design is so far forward in this film, it's such an essential part of the film. You know, like, it's always, of course, it's always essential to the film, but it's really a part of the storytelling and Sound of Metal in a way that you don't see all that often. It's almost its own character. Mm -hmm. I mean... Or at the very, you know, I think a term that I've used in, in discussing the film here on, on Push the Envelope in the past is it's almost a, a 4D experience. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we consider sound part of our, uh, of 
of a normal film experience, but it, as you just mentioned, it makes it um, something you are super conscious of the entire time. It really Absolutely. makes you feel what the character is going through in a way that that very few films in the past have done i feel um which is which is super exciting so it was fantastic to have you speak to both nicholas and miguel i will say as we head into the audio of this if you are hearing a french accent um that is nicholas the sound supervisor and the danish accent is miguel uh the film editor uh so keep that in mind as you're hearing these voices but let's take a listen to katie's uh i thought very very interesting uh conversation with the those two gentlemen. So first, I just wanted to start maybe with a little bit of a softball question. So are either of you guys into metal music? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 had, I had a period where I, I did like a lot of uh, um, black metal experimental band called Om from Brooklyn. But uh, yeah, it's it's need to be very specific, you know. I don't like any kind of metal or music, you know. So this was kind of was this kind of a new world, you know, working on a film about musicians. And uh, were there any kind of new challenges that you faced having, uh, you know, the band plays live in the film and things like that? Did that present any challenges for you? No, I think what was super important for uh, for us and for uh, for Darius, it was the fact that. Uh, uh, this band w- w- would need to play live, you know, and th- the fact that Soriz and, and, and Olivia, they learn from, you know, f- learn how to play these things. And also it's have been composed to for them to be able to be played, but also to be very impressive. So it was a big work uh, Abe did with uh, a Pharmacon, a musician from New York, to actually create this first piece of music. So I think, yeah, it was very important because I think we, we wanted really the, the actors to, to, to have a physical engagement, you know, like to in, in, in the film. Well, the physical engagement is a very important part of this film. Um, tell me a little more of this concept of body sound. Uh, I believe that was something that you and the director worked on quite a bit, Nicholas. Uh, I think it's also because uh, I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm recording everything I'm using in a film. So I, 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 as a Foley artist, or I, as I'm doing field recording and, and white tracks, you know, so for me, everything uh, I'm recording is linked to a moment of my life, you know. And so for me, there is a, you know, when I listen to this sound, it's, it's, it's giving me back a kind of physical m- memory, you know, like it's linked to a physical memory, you know. Uh, and I think uh, uh, that's the way I'm working, you know, and I try not to use the sound in maybe in a, in a classic way, but I try to 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 create a, a very physical uh, aspect of the sound, you know. And I think I, I would love the audience to be able to remember some moments, not in 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 a film, but from their life, you know. I I try to reconnect, you know, to make a connection between the experience of the audience and their experience as people, you know, as person in their own life, you know. So I think it, it's need to be direct, you know, like it's need to be to be a, a direct sensation, a physical sensation, you know, and, and not something uh, illustrative, you know, but something very, very straightforward. Is that connected to the idea of the film trying to convey the experience of, uh, of a deaf person? Uh, what I want to say is that, uh, for example, uh, uh, we, were, uh, we were very documented to try to uh, actually uh, 
uh, made this sound very right, you know, in the, in the fact that when, when you become uh, you're losing hearing, you start uh, to you you still receive some uh, some sound, but uh, through your tissue and your bones, and this, your brain is transforming that to a sound, you know. And I think everybody knows this because it's even when you talk, you know, we we can hear our the resonance of our body, you know. So I think like everybody know, you know, that feeling, you know, this kind of inner sound, you know. So I think I think it's it's even if people never experience hearing loss, you know, they can they can feel that it's right in a way. You know, it's it's it feel right, you know. You mean like, uh, for example, how you can hear. Like if it's very quiet, you can hear your heart beating in your ears, that type of thing? Exactly. You know, that's also the experience when uh, Darius came uh, the first time to Paris to meet me. I, uh, we went together in a, an echoic chamber. It's a place where you there is absolute silence, you know. And then, then after 10 minutes, you start to hear everything, you know, your heartbeat, your blood pressure, your tendons. So there's a limitation of your ear, you know, like the hiss in your ear. So I think it was for me it was very important to to have this experience and to try to recover this moment through you know the the journey of of, of the film. So we did a lot of recording with uh, Riz, you know, uh, when uh, there is this this scene with, um, when he, he come to see the audiologist. There is a booth, you know, and at, at after after the shooting, I I spend like we stay with Riz for two or three hours, and I bring some stethoscope mic, uh, geophone on his curl a mic in his mouth, you know, so I was able to record, like, you know, the internal life of uh, his. And uh, and that's uh, the material we actually used to recreate that kind of sequence. And that's the material I gave also to to Mikkel, you know, to be able to actually edit with this material. Uh, uh, because I think it's very important to get the right sound because you get the right feeling. Uh, and I think if he was only using the sound which would be like more generic or more... Uh, random you know in a way you it wouldn't have the right uh, feeling with it right like you weren't using a sound library yes the idea that uh, normally uh, it's happened quite often that uh, the picture editor work with his own library uh, but i i think it's a bit strange for me because i think it's much better for the for the, the editor to get uh, exactly the library from which have been created for the film you know and also because you know the fact that what he's doing, the way he's editing, it's 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 the base. It becomes the, the you know the, the base of my work. So so it's also a way to respect you know the work of the editor, and, and in in this way the the I, I think it's it's it was I mean not so much editor accept that kind of collaboration you know, but with uh with with uh my, Michael he was very simple you know and and uh, it was also like uh, uh, we create a protocol where for the the cochlear implants you know at the end uh, his assistant was able to uh, process the sound so like that he has uh, he was autonomous so he was able to to actually uh, create you know the right the right material for him to be able to work with and to get the right feeling because i think if you're not uh, it it seems like, for example, I'm doing a, a, new, a new film now, and 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 the editor decide not to integrate the sound I gave to 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 her, and and now she's very surprised by the feeling. You know, she's like, oh, it's going too fast. Oh, it's going too slow. Oh, it's you know, and and you know, it's it's the the way. I mean, like uh, Michael, he, he knows that. You know, he knows that 
uh, changing sound will change uh, the, the perception of, of the picture editing. So for him to integrate the sound I give to him and for me to use what he has done as, as a base of my work, it was, it's, I think it's, it's to be, it's very simple process, but it's, 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 it's very right, you know, I think. Even more because this, this film has a, has a kind of a documentary aspect, you know, so it's important to, 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 to feel that it's right, you know, and, and true all the time. Right. Yeah, it sounds like you were really going for the kind of truth of physical experience, and that is something that is very individual. Exactly. You know, because I think I think um, uh, not in that case because Darius was very uh, very um, he has an incredibly large uh, amount of tools uh, to to work. You know, he's able to work with the costume, with the light, with everything. You know, everything he can use everything. But uh, I think I think. Uh, uh, as as a, as a sound designer, you know, most of the time your relation is is let's say more illustrative, you know, and I think that that it's become very quickly redundant. So 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 what I'm trying to do is it's not to to work in another level, you know, to create another uh, uh, structure which will be more physical, you know, and, and knowing that. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a bit like I don't know how you call that, but there is a cake in France called like the, the 1,000 leaves. You know, we are, you have like a lot of, you know, and, and, and the idea is that if you got like a, a lot of lines built, like you know, in very different domain, I think you can really after remove, you know, a, a lot of part of it, and 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 it's creating a, a complex waving. It's never redundant, you know. At one at at one moment the, the picture is leading, at one moment the, the actor is leading, at one moment the sound is leading. You know, it, it's bring a lot of complexity and a lot of it's, it's become very organic. You know, I think. Right, um, Mikkel, On the uh, sort of picture editing side, it was your job to kind of take all these different layers and combine them. Were you working with many, 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 many tracks like he was talking about, or did you kind of have to combine them into audio tracks? No, I mean I. So from the editorial side, we use sound as a storytelling tool. So basically, it's all about storytelling. And it's about when you, when do you want to be internal or external in a character. And from that moment, uh, I only work with eight audio tracks for simplicity. And simplicity, less is more. And there's a beauty in the right atmosphere that can just stand still. And then you can have your dialogue. Uh, as a mono track almost. Um, but from what I got from Nicholas was that I got all the atmosphere and I would work with that almost as, um, the soundscape for the, for the film and for the scenes. So it would become much more of, uh, an emotional journey, uh, almost like the film score. And we would use those feeds, uh, from the first opening concert and you would use those into this internal, external feeling of Ruben. And from a story perspective, it's about finding the right language to get you as an audience into the head of Ruben. And it's not about uh, the quality of the sound. It's more about how do you feel when you are connected with Ruben and how much do you actually know? Is it, Are you allowed to know more than Ruben or are you not allowed to know more than Ruben? And if you know, don't know more than Ruben, you feel you're going on the same journey as your main character. So that's always the balance. And then from all these tests and, and knowing that Nicholas can create the, the, the feeling, cause 
the the whole idea of using sound as a storytelling tool is extremely powerful because it becomes physical and it becomes something that you become very aware of going into the head of your main character especially if you are uh, um, not being able to understand what's going on in the scenes and you feel and you you lose the sense with your main character throughout the film up to the point where he leaves you which is the midpoint on the on the slide scene with with uh, the boy and that slide scene opens a whole new world to Ruben as you saw it up in the start and he leaves you and you're left with him speaking sign language and everything will be subtitled from that moment and you see it from there. So he goes ahead, he has a project. You don't know about his project. But up to that point, you actually know what's going on with your main character. And all that is created with the thing we called awakening the senses. Awakening your senses with you being able to listen, you being able to watch, us only telling you very, very little in the thing. So you have to be aware of these small details because those details will become very important throughout the whole film. And if we, if we have created a contract with you, how we go in and out of the head of Ruben, or how we can go from external to internal in one shot, like a dolly track up at the start, there's three of them, then it can become emotional when you go into the cochleas when Lou and her dad are singing in the end. So that's how we work with the sound as a storytelling tool from an editorial perspective. But And it became almost like a, a blueprint for Nicholas and in the mix, how to, to work with the sound. Obviously, there's uh, tons of hours uh, how to, to make the quality of the sound. But, but for me, it's much more about what does the scene do with the scene? Are we supposed to be internal? not knowing what's going on with how, and how much information do we give in the scenes then when we go external. Right. And that and that's a storytelling decision then is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean cuz cuz that's where you feel that you go with your main character and you not being able to know what's actually going on. You having the same emotional feeling as your main character when you see someone talking to you and you don't know what he's saying it almost becomes like a horror movie in the pharmacy scene. And suddenly you cut out and you hear the word doctor and he's like all uh, looking around and doctor and you cut into that internal again. So you become frustrated with your main character. That's where we use the sound as a storytelling tool to tell you what kind of story is this going to be. There is, I think, I think also the sound, the way it's mixed after, it's also helped uh, to have a kind of strategy of attention, you know, at one moment, you want focus on, on, on just like a scratch on the end. And sometimes you want to, to give a much more la larger scale. And then after you, you know, like, like there's a lot about also the, the idea of how the sound can actually push the people into, into, into going into the picture or going out of the picture. Just look at something or, or, or you know, like, like I think it's, it's a very, it's, it's a kind of very interesting uh, game, you know, between the audience and the, and the mix, you know, and the sound and the picture. And it's also what's what's interesting is that it, it shouldn't be that you 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 shouldn't be aware of these changes. You should much more be aware that you are put in the perspective of a character. So you feel, which is why you feel that the sound is extremely important to the film because you feel it with him. 
you lose the sense with him, but you also gain a sense with him when they open the cochleus. Mm. But you know, also, I spend like maybe a huge amount of time of the first scene, the concert, to make it really good, you know, because we knew that it's going to be super important when they decide with Mikkel to, and, and Darius to put this scene as the first scene, we knew that it's going to be super important, you know. So we spend a lot of time on that. And also, we spend a lot of time uh, uh, with Mikkel and mostly uh, Mikkel to find the arc, you know, the general arc of point of hearing, point of viewing, you know, and how to combine both things. In terms of the sound editing, editing is not very complex. Yeah, no, it's complex, but it's more the structure, which is, is complex. You know, you don't have like uh, 500 tracks and, and, you know, but it's, it's more about the structure and, and how much time we spend to find exactly the right structure, you know, for, of that. You know, it's more about how to write the sound more than to put a lot of sound, you know, in each scene, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I think I, I really like to work in that way, you know. For me, after putting sound, it is quite easy, you know, but to understand where you have to put sound, how you have to, to kind of understand the, the large structure and the, the arc of it, you know, it, it's what is more complex and more uh, time-consuming, you know. What was difficult for the film for us to find in the film was the whole structure and that circle of the film. And it's how to start the film with the concert, which is, was very late in the process. The edit process, it was very late that we put the, the opening concert as a start. But it created a whole different film because it becomes like a circle for the whole ending. It's the exact same image of your main character sitting. One, he's eager and he's fixing. He's ready to go. And one, he's in complete silence. He's relaxed and he's also almost meditating but it's the same character you see. And it has like, a, there's a circle that it goes through that. And then from that on, it's about finding that language, how we put you as an audience into the head or that you understand this is how we're going to tell you the story and this is how you're going to feel it. And from Darius's point of view, it was extremely important that we don't have cutaways, which is why the concert has to be, they have to perform for a live audience and they have to be the one doing it because by by them actually doing it you feel you are with them you're present it's not a lot of cutaways a lot of uh, shortcuts where you can see like a drum snare kit or a guitar or anything so we try to cheat and say that these are really good musicians or anything which is how you normally would do it but this is like a raw almost like a documentary and everything is seen from the perspective of ruben if you watch it again the concert But you also hear it from his perspective, from sitting on the stage with him on the drum kit. And then you have a hard cut. Everything has to be hard cut throughout the whole scene because it's so aggressive and you go silent into that airstream. And then you start little by little. You show him looking out. You show an air dust. You show a smoothie. You show coffee dripping. You show that you yourself have to use your eyes and ears And by little by little, and suddenly you cut everything away with your main character, you stay in the image, and he becomes deaf. But you feel you become deaf with him. Yeah, and that, and early on, those scenes, the way that the sound drops out, so it, it's very distressing. The pharmacy scene, like you were mentioning, it's very distressing as an audience member. But the pharmacy scene is the key to the whole film, because the mm -hmm. pharmacy scene is the scene that tells you this language, how we can treat the material. Uh, but it's also 
where we create the rule for ourselves, what kind of scenes we can put afterwards, which was very interesting because we had a lot of different scenes that could do a lot of different things. And Nicholas and I tried a lot of ways. Can we go in and out or can we show internal perspective from other uh, in other variations or instead of a side shot or how can it be? But by finding the language, and the language has to be as simple as possible, but that's also the most difficult part to find that simplicity. So you don't think about it. You just feel that you are with your main character. You shouldn't think that I do the cut or that it's flashy or anything. You should just feel present with your main character. I think I think I think the fact that you can we, we work together, it creates a structure which is more complex. So it's more organic. So I think uh, for me, that's uh, what it's so important uh, for me, wh what we did together, you know, with Darius, because Darius was spent also a lot of time with us. So let's say the three of us, we really work together to create that. And I think that if you don't do that, it's going to, it's it sounds and it looks like that because we did that, you know. I think the fact that it was intercon, you know, like we work together on that, it creates the language. You know, that's the collaboration we had together who creates the complexity of the language, you know, and you couldn't have done that se separately. And I think it's, it's, it's very, for me, it's very important, you know, because uh, uh, when I started to work 30 years ago, most of the time it was like people from the picture department which were doing sound because it was, it was simple to do, but they also they have a, a knowledge, the, they knew the secret of the film, you know. Uh, and for, for a moment, everything has been super... Uh, Uh, separated, you know, like like specialized, you know, uh, and I think something has been lost. So actually, to try to to work in that way, I think we'll come back to this kind of the idea of the editing is an amazing tool. It can be sound and picture and sound and picture together, you know. So to be able to collaborate, uh, you know, together, it's 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 bring us back to the root of making a film, you know, and and, and cinema. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. Something that I imagine must have come up a lot is being immersive without being intrusive, because I feel the immersive sound design could have been kind of a kind of a flashy forward thing, but you keep it further back. And so, like you said, you feel the truth rather than really noticing, oh, look what they're doing with the sound design. But because I think, as I said before, that's because we are we have been very naturalistic in a way, you know. I think uh, if we, 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 I mean, Darius and Abe, the brother of Darius, who co-writes the, 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 the script, they were very documented. And so we knew exactly how a lot of people describe hearing loss, you know. Uh, and I also, through some film, like 127 Hours or Gravity, you know, that's, 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 that was ideas I've, I've already experimented. Not at this level, but the idea of, of being inside, being in the inner world of a character is something I've, I've already tried to experiment, you know. But also, if I can say, there's also the fact that if you want to tell a story where you feel with your main character and you go into a deaf community where you should feel that you sit in silence or you feel the... the, the, the um, surroundings and the landscape and the house and all these things it has to feel organic it has to feel how you would normally go if you go out in the wood and stand and listen to the wood that's how it feels and that's how it sounds so the whole film is extremely organic up to the point where it becomes extremely metallic and that's an idea that that 
that's a rule that creates simplicity again, because by not Nicholas can can add. Uh, if you ask me if I have uh, thousands of layers of sounds, but why would I? Because if you have the right stereo aspect of the right atmosphere, which is wh how you want people to feel and stand in the right sense and that right feeling, it's enough. That is the one, and it's so simple. But it's also just how you record it, or how it feels, or how you select that it goes with the the leaves, or if you hear train out in the front, that you become aware of the feeling of everything. And the feeling is also the sound. And if you want, if you want, for example, I don't do it. I'm doing a lot of multi-channel recording. It means that I've got a lot of microphone with a bit like different lengths, but in the same recording. So what I give to Mikel is, is like, let's say, one stereo, you know. But then me, after when I, I took his, his editing, I reconform with the multiple microphone. You know, in the same recording, I can move to a very immersive sound, to something very precise. So instead of adding a lot of layer, it's a bit like I was able to zoom in the sound or zoom out and zoom in, you know. So there is, I don't have a lot of sound, but, you know, I, I can actually change of point of hearing, you know, also. We play that positioning, the, the subjective positioning, you know, in a lot of different uh, uh, position, you know, from from the way we re I record sound, you can you could you can be closer to the heart, or you can be in the head, or you can be in the mouth, you know. So you can even move into the inner sound of the body, you know. Yeah, yeah, that kind of relates to something that I was wondering about with this film because of the experience of losing hearing and the cochlear implant. A lot of sounds are muffled. And muffled sound can really make it difficult. It can be alienating, you know, because it can be difficult to understand what's happening. How did you work with the subtleties of that to make it, you know, a more experiential and not just, wait, what's happening? I can't hear. Yeah, I mean, it, that that's again uh, about how much information do we want to understand in the scene? And should you feel like, wait, what's going on? Or should you more feel like, that that here we're losing the sense of someone snoring or should it feel like you can feel that there are emotions of people banging on the table but you can you can only feel it it becomes almost physical for you or you can feel that there's like with the cochleus implants in the in the end how much can you actually stay in that world and if you create the right feeling and when do you leave Ruben, in that sense that you understand that we hear everything from this perspective, but now we just go into the film and we meet his dad because we want it to be extremely lonely or disoriented when he then walks out in the garden, for example, and all the sound sources come from all these different places. Um, obviously, uh, uh, there's a quality to how much uh, uh, can you actually understand or how little can you understand of these things. And that's in the sound mix as well, where you can play with it. How much do you want to hear? But it's all about that quality that it shouldn't feel that it's something you become aware of. It should more be that, that you feel that you are there with him in that sense. And then it's about that he's losing more and more and more of his hearing when you go into these sensations. For the cochlear implant, it was the opposite, you know. I mean, like nobody should should have the experience of it, be, you know, because you it means that you 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 have cochlear implants. So we we try to because there's Koda people who describe this thing, you know, how it sounds. 
So we try to be real, but also I, I, I try to, to create a sound which nobody has heard before, you know, because it's, it's totally the opposite. It needs to be like totally new, you know, something you have never heard. So when I try to, to try to create this effect, I really try to find a uh, uh, processing which people don't know, you know, which 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 you you don't use to he hear, you know, not like guitar distortion or not like stuff which are already existing in in a in the memory of 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 sound, you know, we you know in the in the process, you know, the way you can process sound. It be it becomes alienated. You feel alienated. You feel something you've never experienced it before. Where up to that point, you actually feel that you have heard your own, you have tried the feeling of uh, tinnitus or uh, being underwater and hearing everything very metallic. And that's where we start playing with these things that you have actually experienced all these things throughout your whole life. Sometimes you put your ears and your, uh, your fingers in your ears and you hear, and you feel this, but suddenly you feel it with him and you see him which is why you are being put inside of the head of Ruben, and it works. But that was also the beauty of it, because that was Darius' intention, that he wanted deaf people to have an experience as a whole, because everything was closed captioned. But us, as hearing person, we should feel left out. Suddenly, we see scenes where they are sign uh, using sign language, and, and when you see it with deaf people, they start laughing because there's funny moments in these scenes. Uh, but you feel like, why is it not subtitled? What's going on? You feel disoriented. And that's the whole idea of the whole film, that you, at a certain place, should feel like, did I feel silence myself, or what is this about? It just points to the ending of him taking away the, co uh, uh, the uh, cochlear implants. And the silence, and and we stay a little too long on the scene on Ruben, him looking at the different things, and you suddenly put yourself in the situation, and it becomes extremely emotional. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Push the Envelope. But if you enjoyed that conversation with Nicolas and Mikael, you can check out avclub.com for a visual element to the interview in which Katie played specific scenes from the film and had them break it down in sort of a DVD commentary-esque way, uh, both the sound elements and the editing elements in the creation of those scenes. So of course, as I mentioned, you can check that out on avclub.com, as well as the Oscar ceremony to see if these guys win big when it airs live on ABC April 25th. You can check out me on social media at Patrick Gomez LA. And we will be back with an all new episode of Push the Envelope next week. Until then, I please ask that you like and comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, bye. This episode of the AV Club's Push the Envelope was brought to you by producer Michaela Heck and sound engineer Ryan Allen.